the Woodside Church Podcast. One of the things we love to do in the summer is give opportunity for some of our new leaders and speakers coming through. Uh, and we've been blessed already this month. Uh, but I'm really thrilled uh, that we have a young man uh, called Thomas Andrews uh, that is going to be... Bring God's word to it. He's a fine young man. Tom, come and join me. Come and join me. Let, let, let's pray for him, shall we? And then receive what God's laid on his heart. Lord, we thank you so much for, for our family. We thank you that you're bringing uh, increasingly uh, young leaders through. They're such a blessing to us. Uh, Lord, your word speaks about every generation receiving from other generations. Uh, often we can see that as the older generation investing in an input into the younger generation. But Lord, today we want to hear from you through Thomas. And we pray, would you speak through him? And Lord, give us hearts to hear your voice today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tom, over to you, my friend. Oh, cheers. Right. Morning. Okay, so as Martin said, my name's Tom. I've been coming to this church for ages. You may know me from my prior work. I'm normally at the back on projection. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite accustomed to seeing the backs of all of your heads instead of the front. And I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier. So that's what I'm normally doing. Anyway, now I'm going to be carrying on our, our, our topic on Proverbs, verses. And my title today is Generosity versus Greed. So Martin kicked this off talking about what Proverbs are. It's advice with how we live our lives. Haniel talked to us last week about truth versus lies. Well, today we're looking at generosity versus greed. So there's a million different proverbs on generosity. So rather than just bombard you with loads of them, I've picked one of them. And this is Proverbs 11, and it's verses 24 to 25. And it reads like this. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Okay. That's going to be our focus for this morning. And there's a couple of words I want to pick out in there. I want to focus just on that first clause. One person who gives freely. Well, if we think of what the word free means, it means it doesn't have a cost. So it's not giving, expecting something back. It's giving, expecting nothing back at all. It's when our generosity should be free. It's not an investment. We're seeing it as something which we don't need a reward for. We don't need to see return for. That's the kind of generosity that this verse is about. But when we give freely, we know that we gain even more. And we're going to look at how that, how that works as well. Then another person withholds unduly. Kind of unduly kind of means unnecessarily. When we have things that we cling on to, that we could give away, but we choose to hoard instead, that is greed. And we're going to have a look at a bit of there next about what greed actually means. Now, a bit more context about me. I'm an English teacher, freshly qualified. I've done three whole weeks of teaching so far. <laughs> uh, I'm very experienced, I know. Um, so the temptation to kind of issue detentions for anyone who's not focusing is, 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 is high. Um, and what I've been spending August doing, the best time to be a teacher, um, what I've been spending August doing, I've been looking at some of the books that I'm going to be teaching in September. I thought probably should have read them before I teach them. And, uh, and, I, and I was, as I was doing that, I was thinking, well, how do I illustrate what generosity and greed is? And I, there was one book that stood out to me. I thought, oh, you know, perfect, I can use that. 
So I thought, you know, as it's an August series, sun's in the sky occasionally, we're thinking of beaches and ice cream, I thought the perfect, perfect book to look at would be A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. (laughs) And just remind us all of the dark depths of winter that are just four months away. So we'll be looking at A Christmas Carol. There it is. That's the first edition there. Now, it was written by Charles Dickens in 1843. Now I'm sounding like an English teacher. And and he he wrote it as a statement. He was cross about how his society put their greed, their want for industry and money, over the health of children. Children were being worked in horribly dangerous conditions, all because of greed. And he was upset about that. And he wanted to make a statement. So he wrote this book. And the main character in it, as I'm sure many of us will know, is Ebenezer Scrooge. There he is. He looks happy, doesn't he? That's Ebenezer Scrooge. Now, he is, he is a money lender. So his job, he gives people money, but he doesn't do it freely. He expects it back, and he expects it with interest. And he, as, as an employer, he's not very generous either. He's got his own nephew working for him who asks him, oh, can I have the day off at Christmas? And he's, oh, sure, but I'll dock you a day's pay. He's not very generous at all. So actually, in this book, he represents greed. That is what he is. His entire character is defined by it. His greed is what makes him who he is. So, oh, here we go. But, so greed back in the Victorian era looked like industry. But times have gone on since then. And I want to look a bit about what greed looks like today what kind of a modern Scrooge might look like. So to kind of illustrate how greed has come, what greed looks like in our society, in our culture, there's a couple of statements I want to to show you. Little turns, little phrases that I'm sure we've all heard before. You can give me a little polite nod if you've heard it before. So the first one, money makes the world go round. (laughs) I'm sure we've all heard that one. Yeah, it's quite a common one. Now, as Christians, we look at that and think, well, that's not true. But unfortunately for many people, it is. That's, that's how they live their lives. It's how our culture works. Money is what makes decisions, both on a global politics scale and a local scale, even in our private lives. Money can be what makes our world go round. There's a reason that phrase is so well heard by all of us. And yet it's all about greed. Money shouldn't be what we're living for. That's not generosity. But then the second one, time is money. We heard that one? Yeah. Time is money. If we, if we look at that then, we think about what the implications are. If time is money, that suggests that any time we spend not making money is time wasted. That if you're spending time and you're not getting any money out of it, you shouldn't bother. You're wasting your time, you're wasting your life away. It's quite a sad thing to think about. But again, it's true to many, many, many people. And it's how they live their lives. And then thirdly... I decided to, I looked up the definition of success, just typed into Google, success definition. And this, and as with many dictionaries, it gives you a few options. The second one said this, success is the attainment of fame, wealth, or social status. So if we run with that, and we think, okay, if that's what success is, being famous, being rich, and being influential, well, what's failure? What's failure? Well, by that, if you're not famous, you've failed. If you're not wealthy, you've failed. If you don't have social status, you've failed. That makes me a failure by all means. So, but again, that's the definition we've got in in our very, in Oxford's dictionary. So it's, it's what our culture feels about 
what success is. It is driven by money and power and influence. And that's what greed looks like today. Our time is all put into money. Money is what makes our decisions. And we are judged by how rich we are and how, how affluent, how influential, how powerful, how famous we are. It's quite a sad state of affairs, really. But then if we look at how... They, but remember, Scrooge personifies this. He is greed. But if we look at him, he doesn't look very happy, does he? Not in the slightest. So this isn't the answer. Chasing wealth, chasing fame, is not whatsoever satisfaction will come from. Let's see. Greed is need. Got that little quote off Luke Clements. It's a good one. Greed is need. So when we're chasing these things, you ne- you're never done. If you are living for money, you can never have enough. If you're leaving, living for fame, you can never have enough. What greed does is it stands in the way of being content, being happy with what we have. And that's a sad way to live. And it's not how God calls us to live. It's not how Proverbs advises us to live. Okay. So how do we actually combat greed? How do we get over this mindset where money is what's ruling our entire life? Well, our answer is generosity. But here's the thing. It's not all about money, not in the slightest. It's not all about money. We can be just as precious about material stuff, the things we use our money for, but also our time and our energy. When time is money, we can easily think, oh, you know what, I'm going to keep this time to myself. I'm not going to go and spend time doing this, which probably I could do. In fact, I'm going to stay at home, not going to really do anything with it. We can be just as precious about our time as we are our money. And here's the crucial, crucial thing. When we look at that proverb we read at the beginning, it doesn't give us a figure as to how generous we should be. It's not about how much we give, not in the least. So if it's not about how, it's not like God sat there up in heaven with a spreadsheet open with a budget. He's not, he's not got a spreadsheet thinking, oh, you know what, Martin, he's not given as much as he normally does this month. Um, oh, how, how are my finances doing? Oh, I'm going to be overdrawn. Let me just see. No, it doesn't work that way. God's not running on a budget. He's a God of resource. All our money is his anyway. All of our time is his anyway. So if it's not about then how much we're giving, given that it's all his to begin with, then what is it about? And this is how I'll put it. It's about the posture of our hearts. Generosity can change the posture of our hearts. So here's money. That's what money looks like. What have I got here? Yep, 20 quid. So this is money. When we live in greed, money is what leads our decisions. Our heart is postured, is positioned, looking down at it. It makes all our decisions for us. We follow it. But when we're generous... When rather than follow money and hoard it to ourselves, we choose to give it away. (laughs) Suddenly, what happens is we're no longer positioned down, following money instead. Instead, we're looking up. God's what is making our decisions. Money's not in charge anymore. And let's be clear, that was nowhere near as generous as it looked. I owed mum 20 quid anyway. Um, (laughs) So now we're even. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, there we go. You remember that. Good. Okay. So when we are generous, that keeps us from getting caught up in greed and letting that make our decisions for us. It's how we overcome it. But that's an easy enough thing to say, but actually being generous isn't easy. Not always. 
So how do we learn to be generous? Well, let's go back to A Christmas Carol. Let's look at how Scrooge learned to be generous. So he sees four ghosts, but I'm going to forget that one of them exists. Marley, we're not talking about him. We're going to focus on the three main ones. First, he sees the ghost of Christmas past. There we are. There's a picture from the first edition. Now, this ghost takes Scrooge to see his, his, his family history, takes him back in time. And this guy in the middle who's dancing around with his wife is Fezziwig, and he was Scrooge's boss. But Fezziwig, unlike Scrooge, he was generous. Every year, he'd put a big Christmas party on for his staff. He'd give them all the time off he ne- they needed. He would feed them. And they have a great time, and Scrooge looks back on that fondly. So he sees how he's been treated generously before, and that's part of how he learns. Then secondly, we have the ghost of Christmas present, of now. There he is, um, showing quite a lot of chest there, actually. But he looks very happy. He's in his nice green coat, and look, he's, he's very jolly, he's huge, he's got his big torch, light and warmth and joy. He's a very happy guy, and he shows Scrooge what Christmas is like in the present. He takes him to different families. He sees them talking and having their Christmas dinners together and how happy they all are. So he sees how generosity makes a difference in the present. So first, he's shown generosity in its past. Now he's, been, he's seen generosity now and the impact it has. But lastly, we get the ghost of Christmas future. And what this ghost does is he takes Scrooge to his gravestone. Scrooge sees his grave with his name written on it, And he notices how no one's turned up to his funeral. And and, and it makes him sad. He sees his grave and he thinks, I've died sad and I've died lonely. I've I've got all the money in the world, but I'm no better for it now. Can't take your money with you once you've died. So he's realizing that because he's lived such a greedy life, he's not been generous, he's cut himself off from all the people around him. And he notices, now he's dead, thinks, oh, I've made a big mistake here. So then when he's taken back to the present, the lessons he's learned is, well, maybe I should live generously. He, starts giving, he becomes more generous. He gives a dinner to his, his nephew and his family. He, is, he, he spends time with them. That's huge for him. Remember, it's not just money. It can be time too. He, he's, he spends his time with them as well. And he's learned to be generous. So he learns through the past, the present, and the future. Well, let's apply that then to today. So to, to answer that, to look, we'll learn how to be generous. There's three questions we're going to answer. And I'm going to find out where they're written on my sheet. There we go. Right. So one, how is generosity modeled in the past? What examples do we have to go to of generosity that we can learn from? For Scrooge, it's his boss. Well, who can it be for us? The second one, what is the impact of generosity in the present? What difference does it actually make? You know, you were generous once, but so what? what? What impact does it have? Then third, how does the future motivate us to be generous? How does, when we look into our future, how does that make, give, teach us a lesson that, oh, maybe we should live generously? So those are the three questions that we're going to be answering today. First, then, let's look at the past. So as we've said before, Fezziwig was Scrooge's model. But for us, the ultimate model of generosity is Jesus. So I'm going to be very creative with my Bible verse here. Pick one I'm sure none of us have heard before. John (laughs) 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He gave his one and only son. Gave. Not expecting anything back. No, 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 no. He gave freely. So God is our model of generosity. Jesus as well lived his entire life generously. We don't see so much about his money. However, he is very generous with his time. He spends every waking moment out with people, having fellowship with them, talking with them, being with them, eating with them, talking to them, teaching them. He is as generous with his time as can possibly be. So he is our ultimate model. We can go back, we can read the Gospels and see in Jesus our example of what generosity looks like. But as we, are, as we model ourselves after Jesus, it means that we are surrounded by people in this church who do that as well, who are generous too. So I want to just go through some examples of actually what generosity looks like kind of in, in our living memory. So first, we had New Day this August. Some of you went... And New Day is a big youth festival, and we put it on. We had about 130 people on Woodside site from multiple different churches. It was a full week spent camping, so we were all shattered by the end of it. But it was absolutely incredible. And there were, but it runs on volunteers. The entire event only happens because people volunteered to put it on, both from Woodside and the churches who went with us, but also who support the event. So there's some photographs I want to show us. So here's the first one. Now, this was a setup. So on the very first day of New Day, or actually the day before, a whole crew from Woodside came up to Norwich just to put tents up. Now these marquees are huge, and there were three of them. There were also 30 tents. So it's a big, big job. And yet a whole band of people came along just to put tents up. They get all the tents, and then they go home. That's generosity. Is it giving money? No. Is it giving time and energy? Yes. That is generosity. So we've got, oh yeah, there's our setup team there. Ollie Herney in his sandwich. He was more helpful than that, I promise. Um, he finished it a moment after that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So that, and then the next picture is possibly my favorite one. Here we are. So uh, that's uh, putting the sides on the marquee. So from left to right, there's Dean there. There's my brother, Matty, Shanu, Josh Boland. That's me next. And then Jeet, all lying on the ground. It was wet as well. It had been raining. Putting all the sides on the marquee. It's a good thing that photo was taken from that angle, though. I think if it had been any higher up, my builder's bum would have meant I couldn't use it. <laughs> um, but, but that's generosity, too. And then, do we have another picture of that one? What's next? Oh, yeah. Our wonderful catering team. So, yeah. So our catering team, they came up for a week to cook two hot meals a day for 130 people. That's that. It's a lot of cooking. I've done it before, and I... I I don't know how Kev managed to lead it. But from left to right, we've got Lois, we've got Jonathan, there's Ben Hudson in the back doing this. Then we have, oh, there's Kevin and Wendy as well, Julie, Gary Chester, Hannah and Hermione. They were our catering team. Spent the whole week cooking. And to give them the next picture, there's some of them chopping. Now, if you look at that table at the back, that table is plastered in meatballs to give you a sense of how much they have to cook. <laughs> Gary's one job was just opening and counting meatballs. So it's... it's they don't do it for fun. <laughs> yeah, this is generosity. Yeah. And it's generosity at work. And an inordinate amount of mushrooms. I think that we did buy a bit too much, didn't we, Kev? Yeah. But chopping all those by hand, that's generosity at work. We can look at that example and think, well, maybe that's how we can be generous too, with our time and with our energy. 
Then the next picture, still we're still at New Day. Here's our youth team. So we've got the Italian band on the left. That's with Sharon Hudson. Many of us all know Sharon. Then on the inside of the tent, who have we got? Uh, Josh Bolan's in there. Hannah, Zach, Joe Hearn's in there. Stephen, Ollie, Zach Henson. Or who's next? Matt's in there. Haniel's in there. Abby, Krish. They were our youth team. I took the picture. And we spent the entire week serving those kids. Not again, not, just, not to enjoy it, but that's generosity. It's putting our time and giving that freely. Didn't expect anything back. And bear in mind as well, taking a week of paid leave, while it's easy for me as a teacher, hey, it's not so easy for everybody else. It's, it's a huge commitment. It's a huge thing to do. That's, gener- that's generosity. Well, where did I get to? Okay. But now I'm kind of moving and taking a step away from New Day. As many of us will know, uh, my dad's not been very well the last few months. He had a heart attack, then there was a bowel cancer diagnosis. So for three months, it's been lots of hospital trips, lots of waiting, lots of nerves. But we experience generosity as a family from the church. I still think it's quite funny. Well, not that he was in hospital, but when he was in hospital, the health crisis that Woodside recognized wasn't his. They thought the rest of his family is going to starve. What are they going to do? And... <laughs> I don't have scurvy now, and that's a testament to the amount of food we were given. I mean, we had lasagna last night from Jerry Bentley. Well, our problem was fridge space at the beginning. We ate like kings. It was incredible. But that was generosity. The church noticed that we were in a time where we needed it, and that's what they did. We, it was just dish after dish after dish. Keeping track of whose was whose was a nightmare. But that was generosity as well. Is that giving money? Well, food's not free, so yes, but it's time as well. That's generosity. And we can look at that as an example and think, well, how can I put that into practice? But then, even on, a, on an even smaller scale, in that time, lots of you will know Callum White. He's on the youth team. In that first, that first month, Dad had been in our hospital. He sent me a text. And in that text, it just said, let me know if you need to go for a coffee. That was it. And I thought, I know, I know what he's doing there. He's recognized that actually it's a difficult time for our family. And he was thinking, right, how can I use my time to help Tom? And I looked at that text and I thought, I'll be fine. I don't need that. But I took him up on it anyway. And he's a police officer. And fresh off a night shift, he, arrived, he met me to have coffee in the morning. And I'll tell you what, it was more valuable than I could ever have imagined. So it, it, was, it was incredible. And yet it's a tiny thing meeting somebody for coffee, and yet he was being generous with his time. No money there. It wasn't about who paid. No, it was he wanted to, give, to be generous, to give his time freely to me, because he recognized that I needed it. That's generosity. So it's not all just like this. It's not all about money. It's not all about like New Day and whole weeks away. The little things we do are just as important and just as impactful. So we can look at the past both at Jesus and the generosity he did, but also the generosity all around us. We've all been so, we've just, um, Martin went through a list of some of the people that have helped this service come together. We've all been treated by gener- with generosity today, or this service wouldn't be on. So we can use that as our model and think, okay, can I copy what they're doing there and put that into practice in my own life? But let's move on then to the present and the impact of generosity which means I'm going to have to turn the page, isn't it? There we are. Okay. God's not just generous in the past. He's generous in the present as well. Yesterday, today, and forever, you never change. I'm glad that song came up. Perfect. He's not just generous then. He's generous now. 
Lots of the examples I've just given of people being generous in the church, that's testament to that. God's generosity works through us. But in terms of impact, though, well, why, do we, why are we generous? Well, if we give, say it's Christmas time, staying on theme, and you give a present to, to somebody, it's a sign that you love them. Generosity is an outworking of love. It's how we express it. And that's really important. Because if we go back to, to, to Mark, Mark 12, Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? And he says, one, love God. Fair enough. Second, he, he anticipates the follow-up question. He gets right to it. He says, secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we are going to do that, that second most important commandment, generosity is part of that. If we want to love our neighbor, being generous to them with our time, with our money, with our energy, helps. That's how we show that we love them and how we bring love into the world. And when we are treated with generosity, we feel loved. That's how I felt when Callum sent me that text and we went out for coffee in the morning. That's how my family felt when we had food being arriving by the truckload at our door. That's how the kids felt at New Day. They feel loved. So if we want to meet that second most important commandment, that's one way we can do it. We can treat our neighbor, the people around us, with generosity. We look for it in the past and we implement it in the present. We see examples of how people have been generous to us and how God is generous. And we think, right, how can I put this in? So for me at work, there are some days when I'm, when I'm teaching, and I've been a teaching assistant for six years, where I get to the end of it and I'm regretting every life choice I've made. And I think, oh, kids are the worst. How am I going to deal with this? And I don't want to spend any more time with them. And yet a kid will still come up to me and say, oh, sir, can we play chess? I could go and hide in the staff room in a dark corner for 40 minutes. Or I could instead be generous with my time and go and play that chess match and get thoroughly thrashed by him. It's usually how it goes. That's generosity too. I've been treated with generosity. I see how that's been done and I implement that in my life. I'm generous with my time. That's how it works. Okay. But lastly, on the present. When we're in a world that's as greedy as it is, where that is the culture, where money makes the world go round and where time is money, when we're generous, that stands out. It's like a light in a dark room. So if we want the church and its impact to be felt in our society, generosity is one way we can do that. It's what, it's what can define us as Christians, that we are loving. And that's what stands out. And, that, and that's what brings people into the church. So on a, in a, on a grand scale, that's what's going on. When we're generous, it shows that we're different, that God's different. And that's attractive to people who are living in a world of greed where they're following money around and it's not working for them. It's not giving them the satisfaction and the joy that they want. So it's how we express love, because it makes us feel loved, and it makes, it's what can define us as Christians. Then third, the future. Now, I've never especially liked the ending of A Christmas Carol. I think it's, a, it's got a slight selfish undertone to it. You know, he sees the grave and he thinks, I don't want to die lonely. And if you, if you read into that a little bit, it kind of gives me the impression anyway that when he goes to be generous, it's because he wants to make his own life better. He doesn't want to die that way. He wants to have people around his grave. For him, the grave is the end. That's it. 
And he's thinking, well, if I don't pull my socks up now, I've got no chance. I, want to, I don't want to die sad, so I'm going to be generous. But he's focusing just on the grave. That's his end point. But for us as Christians, life doesn't look like that. And it looks a bit like this. Have we got, uh, have we got there we go. So we've got birth on the left. Then we die. That's where Scrooge thinks it, it ends. But for us, life carries on after that. We live eternally. So if death isn't our end point, where Scrooge is motivated by dying, we are not. So if we just pop the next slide up, Stephen. Cheers. Scrooge is focused entirely on that section of his life. That's the bit he wants to enrich. But for us as Christians, that's not how it works. Because death's not our end, Jesus resurrected, so death's meaningless to us now. It's not, it's not got power for us as it does for him. Our focus is further along. That's where we can be looking. When we are being generous, we're not doing it to enrich our own lives before we die. We're looking further ahead. So to go back to New Day, there was a beautiful moment on the Thursday night. And, and, and imagine everyone who was in the marquee still remembers it. Haniel, who spoke to us last week, he brought his guitar along. And he set up in one of our marquees, which are really long, about as long as this stage, if not a bit longer. He'd set up a big row of tables. And he sat with his guitar, started playing. We got Hudson from the West Side. He was playing the bin. We had washing up bowls out, sugar pots, and they were drumming on those. And they spent the entire evening from about quarter past 10 right through to 11 worshipping. And I'll tell you what, as that time went on, the crowd around that table just got bigger and bigger and bigger. With youth, with the kids from not just Woodside, but from the Italian church, from Milton Keynes and from Luton, who were all camping together. It sounded beautiful. And at one point, the zone hosts arrived. Now, the zone hosts, if you've not been to New Day, they're like New Day police. <laughs> so they, they usually turn up to say, shh, you're being too loud. So when they walked in, I was with Joe Hearn, and we just kind of froze while we were in trouble here. But no, they came in, and they said, what song's next? They sat down, they joined in. It was a beautiful, beautiful moment. Just a whole bunch of kids sat together, looking as comfortable and, at, and as at home as could possibly be, worshipping for the entire evening until curfew came along. It was phenomenal. And yet, the thing that stuck with me was a comment that I heard from actually a couple of different people. Kevin Wendy had been asleep in their tent when this kicked off. So there's two responses to suddenly really loud drumming and singing if you're asleep at night. One is just frustration, oh, noisy. But in the morning, Ollie actually came over to apologize to Wendy. So I'm really, really sorry how noisy it was. Wendy's comment was, no, 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 no. We spent the entire time lying down, listening to it, thinking, this is why we do it. This is why we're there. The time that the, their generosity wasn't to get anything out of it for themselves. They're investing in the future, from beyond when they've died. They're creating an environment where our next generation feel at home, and at home enough to sit around a big table three layers deep, singing together. That's why it's there. Generosity is not focused on until we die. It's from beyond that as well. But here's the thing. While we don't do it for reward, there is a reward nonetheless. If we put the, the next slide up. Cheers, Stephen. I'm going to read it from there because I've printed it too small. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. That's what happens to Scrooge. He dies and then the green bar stops. He's poor in the end. But, for, but then at that last line, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
So while we're not generous for a reward, we give freely, it doesn't have a cost, that reward comes, not, comes nonetheless because God is generous. When he sees us being generous, he's, he doesn't just think, you know what, they're fine. No, no, he's generous to us as well. You ask anybody who was at New Day, yes, we came home looking like zombies or haggard, but it was a great week. I loved it. Um, I have to, it's the highlight of my year every year, and actually I've enjoyed it even more when I was serving there. My life's refreshed by being there. I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because it creates that environment where the kids can sing together. But that reward comes nonetheless. It's a great week. But to give another example from my own life, and I've talked to the youth about this, so if you've heard this before, sorry. I'm autistic. I was diagnosed when I was 12. It means that I'm not very good at talking to people. Uh, Not very good at it at all. But when I was 11, I started work, uh, serving, giving my time, being generous in the kids' work at church, back when Joe Hearn was running the team. And I started being on projection. And the reason I picked projection was because I didn't have to talk to anyone. It's a fantastic gig. And I'd be at the back. But then slowly but surely, I got brought into the, into the fold. And I'm working with the children. And then you're talking to their parents. And it meant by the time I turned 18, I'd had, oh, I'm not a math teacher, six, seven years. Of, of actual experience working with children and with adults. That then led to me getting a job as a teaching assistant, which has put me in the job I'm in, where I'm an English teacher. And it, I love it. It's great fun. It's enriched my life enormously. But looking back, that would not have happened had I not put myself in, had I not been generous, had I not joined in with the kids' work. I didn't do it with a career in mind. No way. Um, yeah, if you, actually, if you'd asked me then, what's the worst job I could imagine? I'd, I'd have told your teacher... That's not why I did it, and yet my life's been enriched by it nonetheless. By joining in with the youth team, I found a circle of friends there that I didn't have before. That's how I met Callum, who's the the one who met me for coffee. We talked about that. So our lives are enriched by being generous. It's not the motivation like it is for Scrooge, but it, it comes nonetheless because God is generous in the present and will be yesterday, today, and forever. Okay. I'm going to pray just briefly. Father, thank you for how generous you are, how generous you have been to us in the past and in the present and will continue to be in the future. Thank you for the gifts that we receive every single day and for the people that you place around us and work through that treat us with just such generosity as well. And we pray as well, help us as we live in a culture that's, that's so caught up in greed, to keep the posture of our hearts in the right place. So we're not following money, we're not being precious about our time, but instead that we can follow you. Amen. Okay. listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.